that ultimate reality brahman which we call brahman satyam um, and uh, atma same thing atma means the self so that ultimate reality blesses everything with its presence and there is nothing in the universe that is not sacred so everything is sacred isha vastyam idam sarvam everything that is uh, verily here is pervaded by the lord so every leaf uh, you know and the air that that we breathe the sun that shines the water that flows everything is shiva ishvara god whatever we want to say and so there is nothing in this universe that is untouched by that sacred presence and so we have the privilege of invoking uh, bhagavan ishvara god in any form any name that we choose because everything is that so you can take you can look at you can look for god in a flower and find it you can go look at go for god in a rock and find it and uh, so or you can look at god in a phenomenon um either something beautiful phenomenon like a sunrise or a terrifying phenomenon like a earthquake tsunami whatever you can find god in all these things and so therefore the contradiction is resolved between the form and the formless because everything that has forms is god but for that god to bless everything that has forms has to be ultimately formless like you are neither the waker nor the dreamer nor the sleeper yet you bless these states and similarly you know what we call god you know everything is god but god cannot be any one thing how you know we view shiva as you know as both representing the immanent and the transcendental aspects of what we call god so in in the form of immanence that everything that is here you know and the word shiva means auspicious that which is auspicious and so when we look upon uh, everything as shiva we as human beings learn to look upon whatever is happening as auspicious and this is itself a difficult you know learning and a difficult meditation because you know the human mind generally likes to divide the two you know some some things are good and some things are bad some things are auspicious and some things are inauspicious and when we look deeply into what is the dividing line it's all based on one's own desires and those desires like strong preferences and strong prejudices run our script on how we see the world and color our you know um view of the world as it is as shiva or god made it and as we want it to be so there is a big divide so that is the subjective coloration you know of desires and shiva means auspicious so i learn how to look at everything you know with with that objectivity so that i can appreciate everything as a law of god or that everything is in place no matter how difficult it is for me to accept it in the moment and so that's why shiva represents the burning of kama deva the the the, the lord the, the presiding deity of desire so mm-hmm. she is the third eye of shiva burns up that subjective fog the brain fog of 
strong prejudices and preferences. Um, and a little small caveat here, Yogacharya Ji, because, you know, it's not that we are against desire. It's, uh, you know, unbridled, unmanageable desires that we are needing to discipline. We are not trying mm. to control the mind or control desires because desire itself is Shiva. But we are talking of, you know, uh, desires that cannot be managed which end up managing uh, us. And that mm-hmm. is the desire, we, you know, that uh, uh, surrendering to Shiva as a force of auspiciousness burns away that cataract of subjectivity from the vision. So starting this Shivaratri, you know, we can have 2020 vision. So on the 12th and the, the, the 13th day, to between the 12th and the 13th day of the lunar cycle, either the full moon or the new moon, you know, we have a, a window of time in the evening called Pradosha. And uh, that is connected to a Puranic tale where Shiva, you know, drinks up the poison that comes as a result of the churning of the ocean. You know, the ocean is churned and mined for the nectar of immortality, goes the story. And then Shiva just, you know, before the immortality comes, a horrible poison comes up and nobody is able, everybody faints at the sight of this poison, including, you know, the various devatas, deities, etc. And Shiva offers to swallow it up. And then Parvati, his Shakti, the consort, meaning she is non-separate from Shiva, the feminine form, the creative form of Shiva, you know, puts a hand on his throat so that the poison is not internalized, it's just localized and neutralized. And so, of course, this metaphor of this story is rife with, you know, all kinds of, uh, um, it yields many, many different meanings. See, the ocean is the uh, unconscious mind, and then whatever is there in the in the unconscious mind, and, you know, that has to all come out, and so various desires come out, and of course the poison is the unresolved pains of the past. And so that collective unresolved pains of the past, he takes it in, but he doesn't internalize it. He neutralizes it. And so praying to Lord Shiva on that day, you know, makes it, uh, makes one free of that subjective, uh, you know, patina that one carries, the, the veneer of subjectivity with which one greets the universe and mm. views oneself and the Lord. So it frees one of that and that's why it is considered so auspicious and so Mahashivratri is like that times 100 so you do this for the whole night you see it as a great austerity a disciplined practice of invoking the Lord's grace to uh, to remove this this the, the the hold of the unconscious pains and sorrows, you know, mm-hmm. truncated desires, frozen needs um, mm-hmm. that can cannot be fulfilled, and they, that need not be fulfilled for us to be free, uh, to be able to see the world as God. So Shiva is the you know is in austerity tapas. Tapas means deep meditation. And so that meditation is the knowledge of the universe and how to bring about the universe flawlessly, just like it was done, you know, in various yugas or big, uh, large time periods. 
And so Parvati is the creative impetus. And so it looks like she's, quote-unquote, disturbing him and bringing him out of meditation. But it's not really a disturbance. It's more of a quickening, you know, like a child in the womb. You know, it, it kicks. It uh, makes its presence felt that, okay, here here I am, and I'm growing, and I'm, you know, getting ready to come out at some point. And so similarly, Parvati, as the creative impetus, makes her presence felt so that the contemplation of the laws of the universe don't go to waste. They have a fruition. They have the, you know, culmination of, you know, of uh, of all the names and forms coming out as a result of this contemplation. And so she is the creative force. But really speaking, she is he and he is not separate from she. Because of our own ignorance and this gender binary that we are all stuck into, we have to say he and she to help ourselves, you know, go to to help ourselves to talk about something that is very difficult or impossible to talk about. So th- these are just metaphors because really, you know, when when he contemplates on the upon the universe about how all the laws, the law of karma, the anatomical laws, the physiological laws, and the laws of the, you know, the five elements, etc., and the psychological laws, how do they all, and the karmic laws, how do they all intersect, we say, he. And when that actually is brought forth into motion, we say, she. So that is, you know, so the marriage means, you know, being able to appreciate the transcendence of the Lord along with the imminence. We don't expect everybody to be monks. You know, that's not the point of life is to become a monk. Uh, The point of life is not to have a monkey mind. That is basically the point. And so when, you know, so it shows the relevance of the sadhana, the means such as meditative practices, rituals, whatever we follow, all this is to is to calm the mind and have stillness and to separate uh, oneself from the subjective, you know, veneer of all the desires that can cause havoc in how we view ourselves, the world, and the Lord. And so that is the that is the phala, the mm, blessing of the practices. So Shiva is, you know, surrendering to Shiva. You know, we can get some idea about how to do this practice. And then Parvati represents how to move in the world as a result of these practices. Mm, Yeah, that is beautiful. Could you say a little more about that um, in terms of how to move in the world as a practice? Mm, Yes, you see the stillness and the movement are are not polarities. They are not presented as polar opposites. The stillness complements the movement and the movement, you know, is nothing but stillness in a dynamic form. And that is how, you know, we, we move in the world. So the stillness is, is you know, for example, on a, on a very mundane day-to-day level, you know, let's imagine, you know, a hypothetical situation where, you know, somebody goes to work and then they have, they're having a very difficult or a challenging day at work. Lots of things are coming at you and then you don't know what you're doing and then, you know, it's very difficult and you're being wrongly accused of something or whatever it is. 
And of course, the impetus is to immediately be defensive, offensive, whatever it is, try to clear one's name or, you know, react. But the Shiva within, you know, helps one, the, the practice of meditation, yoga, everything, helps one to be still and to just observe. Observe the anger within oneself, observe the anger in the other party that, that is making wrong accusations or what have you. And then, you know, and that is the stillness. And then the movement is Parvati uh, arising out of the stillness. And since Parvati is the mother of the universe, that movement comes from a place of compassion. Compassion towards the person who was, you know, wronging you. Compassion towards yourself and compassion towards the situation. And compassion is not something passive. It is not a codependent, you know, making excuses for somebody's behavior. That's not what we are talking about. The expression of compassion here is the ability to differentiate between the person and their behavior. And you can condemn the behavior without condemning the person. And that is where, you know, this, this marriage is a very, very important metaphor to be able to have that separation. The chanting of the Om Namah Shivaya repeatedly removes, you know, tames the sense organ. It has the, uh, the power to tame the sense organ and, you know, uh, invoke the grace of the Lord Shiva here. And so, you know, grace is, you know, I picture grace as an untapped, you know, like an aquifer, un, you know, groundwater. So then when mm. you tap into it, it's it's already there. It's pleasant and pl- plenty. And then when you tap into it with your own karma, with your action of supplication, surrender, then it flows. It flows randomly and blessing everyone because it is just there. And so that is, you know, that is something in terms of the, um, uh, so the ritual, and the ritual also includes the bathing of the linga. The linga means the form of Lord Shiva is like an oval egg-shaped stone. And I want to just take a little moment to talk about the form here. This form is like very close to the formless. You cannot worship the formless because it's you, and and also it's contrary to worship something. You know, it's it's not logical to worship something that doesn't have form because the worship itself is a form. You cannot worship something that doesn't have a form. You can only relate to it as you. Uh, but here, Shiva, who you know, the popular for, uh, quote unquote form of Lord Shiva is that which is a linga, like an egg-shaped stone which is really very close to the formless. It doesn't have eyes, nose, etc. So it's not exactly a form. It is almost like if all the forms in the world were patted into one shape, let us look at that as the linga. So this is what the whole thing is. It is very close to the formless. And so the Shiva linga is repeated. Even the, the, the word linga means it's an indication. It's not it. So nobody's worshipping the stone, you know, just like if you're looking at a picture of someone you love, like your mother, you're not, you know, you're not relating to the paper in which the photo is made or the frame. You're just looking, you're relating to the mother. Similarly, the stone becomes, a, you know, a symbol or a, you know, a, 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 an instrument of relating to, to Lord Shiva and then you bathe the stone repeatedly and that bathing is like a cleansing, a detoxification and then after the bathing is done you anoint it with all holy, you know, 
materials such as you know sandalwood vermilion vibhuti which is ash etc so then that anointing is the nurturing the nourishing and this happens all night long and so one is really in a place of you know one is very hyper present and there is you know there is a sense of awareness and uh, one is you know totally uh, internally cleaned out the mind and the heart are in a place of receptivity afterwards